Well, I'm still a mess after Esther's testimony, so just bear with me. Um, I'm reading today from Matthew 18, and you can find that on page 985 in the Black Pew Bibles. Matthew 18, from verse 21 to verse 25. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. How much? 35. Okay. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. A bit further there. How are we doing? Can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, okay. Neil, we loud loud enough? Excellent. Thanks, Suzanne. Thank you very much, Esther, for sharing. I feel like we could probably just leave it there this morning. Um, But we'll we'll continue as planned. Um, Thank you very much. So awesome to hear how God is working in our lives. We are a a people, we're all the same, learning to follow Jesus together. And thank you for sharing. It was very powerful. Uh, It really is great to be here this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Dave. I'm on staff here, and it's good to be here. Um, We're in our second last week in this series on the Lord's Prayer. And if you're anything like me, I've been really challenged by this series. What does it mean to really pray to God? What are our priorities? So it's been a great series. So we're looking at the second last line of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What does it mean to pray that part of the Lord's Prayer? Well, why don't we ask God to speak to us this morning, to reveal to us his will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we all just want to echo Esther's words saying that we need you that we cannot do it without you God and we cannot do it on our own so thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word and giving us as a gift each other teach us this morning on this 
potentially difficult topic of forgiveness. Just make us ready, Lord. Just open our hearts and minds with what you've got to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's a picture of a a gentleman by the name of Simon Wiesenthal. He witnessed 89 of his relatives die at the hands of the Nazis in the Second World War. He himself was forced into a labour camp during the war at, at about at the age of 16. And one day, as he was taking out the rubbish in a makeshift hospital, a nurse approached him and said, are you a Jew? He sort of nervously, you know, frightened, said, uh, yes. She led him to a dark and musty room where a lone soldier lay on a bed, bloodied and bruised, young soldier in really bad shape, his face all sort of covered in bandages. The nurse left him there alone with the soldier, and then he spoke. The soldier said, my name is Carl, and I must tell you of my horrible deeds. I must tell you because you are a Jew. The soldier then began describing just horrific things that he'd done during the course of the war and the lead up to it to, to Wiesenthal's people, the Jews. Three times Wiesenthal you know, tried to escape Uh, leave the room but with the remaining strength that he had the soldier grabbed him and begged him to stay and to listen the soldier ended I'm left here alone with my guilt I know that what I've told you is horrible in the long nights while I've been waiting for death time and time again I've longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him only I didn't know if there are any Jews left I know what I'm asking is almost too much for you But without your answer, I cannot die in peace. I mean, as you can imagine, Wiesenthal felt the enormous crushing weight of his race. He looked down at the man, you know, trying to decide what to do. At last, I made up my mind, Wiesenthal writes. And without a word, I left the room. He wrote a book after his experience, he survived the war, and wrote a book after his experience called The Sunflower, The Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness. And during his research for the book, he asked lots of famous people, what would you have done in my place? Now, most people, you know, responded saying that he'd done the right thing. He'd done the right thing. Now, Simon Wiesenthal was was a really interesting man, incredible man in many ways. He did a lot of good things. He became a Nazi hunter after the war and hunted down Nazi war criminals. But in many ways, his life was, I guess, as you can imagine, filled with sadness, but particularly filled with bitterness. It's quite a confronting story, isn't it? You know, was Wiesenthal right in not forgiving the soldier? Was it his place to forgive him? Did he even deserve it? Well, this morning, this is what we're looking at, right? The topic of forgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What does it mean to pray that? Well, this morning, we're going to look at it really simply in two different sections. We're going to look at what does it mean to be forgiven and what does it mean to forgive? Really simple. What does it mean to be forgiven and what does it mean for us to forgive? All right, let's get cracking with the first bit. What does it mean to be forgiven? To pray, forgive us our sins. We see, before we even look at what it means, you know, to ask for forgiveness, don't you think we have to look at the why? Why should we? Why do we need to be forgiven? 
So Jesus says, pray, forgive us our sins. Okay, so, well, it begs the question, then what's that? What is sin? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe you've sat in church for a little bit, you've probably heard us talk about sin before, but maybe too many times. But uh, if you're new with us, maybe you haven't heard it much. I'm, I was struggling to think of where we talk about sin in our culture now. So I was watching the rugby league the other day and someone was sent to the sin bin. Okay, so there's one thing. You do something wrong, you're sent to the sin bin. They seem to do that a lot. Maybe they should have that in real life too. Anyway, um, but uh, so that's, that's kind of, you know, the sin, the sin in our culture. But really, we don't speak about it much. So what is it? Well, sin is wrongdoing. That God's told us the way, the best way to live, the way that he wants us to live, and if we break those laws, okay, that can be defined as sin. But really, it's, it's much more than that. It's much deeper than that. It's bigger than breaking laws. It's more about how we treat the law giver. You see, every single one of us, we've sinned in one of two ways against our law giver, against God, our creator. Okay, so we've either said, God, I don't care what you say, if you exist, you probably don't. But, you know, if you do exist, don't really care about your laws. I'm going to live the way I want to live. That can be called relativism. Now, you may know the parable of the prodigal son, the youngest that Jesus teaches, the youngest son, and goes up to his father. I want my inheritance now. You're as good as dead to me. Takes the money and then goes and lives a pretty wild life. He gives his father the finger, doesn't he? I'll do what I want to do. Some of us give our father the finger. Now, maybe many of you, I'll say most of you, probably aren't like that, okay? We, we, we live pretty good and upright moral lives. But maybe some of us do that apart from God. Now, you might think, well, at least I'm not like that young son doing bad things. I'm doing good things. I'm a good person. Okay, totally fair enough. But imagine uh, a single mum, a single mum who works really hard to provide for her son, to provide for him, works extra shifts, to put him, you know, into a great education, right? She sacrifices to do that for her son. The son then grows up, goes to university, and never speaks to his mum again. Maybe at Easter or Christmas, writes her a postcard, but apart from that, has nothing to do with her, but lives a good life and is a good moral person, just like his mother taught him. Now, most of us, I reckon, here this morning would agree that that young man's being a horrible son, isn't he? He's acting terribly towards his mother. And for some of us, I think that's how we treat God. We take the good things he gives us. We live a good moral life, as he would want us, but we don't want to have anything to do with him. You see, sin, it's, it's more than um, not stealing, not committing adultery, not lying, Okay, it is those things, but it's really about how we treat the law giver. Every one of us is one of those people. We do what we want, or we do good things, but for maybe selfish reasons, just not really much to do with God. And that just leaves us in a terrible predicament. There is a huge gap between God and us, and something's got to be done about it. We are sinners, and we need to be forgiven. Now, here's a pretty scandalous thought. That you and I, the whole world, we are that soldier from the opening story. Battered and bruised by our sin, racked with guilt, longing for forgiveness. 
Now you might think, um, Dave, thanks very much. I'm nothing like that soldier. I haven't committed any war crimes lately. That's probably true for most of us. No war crimes probably in this room. But can you honestly say that you don't sense a need for forgiveness? You don't sense guilt. I think all of us long to be made right. We, lo- we long to do something with our guilt. We long to be forgiven. Well, the good news is that another Jew sits next to us. He doesn't get up and walk out the door. Jesus sits there, holds our hand and says there is forgiveness and forgiveness is through me. That's what the Bible teaches. There is forgiveness and forgiveness is through Jesus. Now, the Bible speaks of Jesus' offer of forgiveness in a few ways. And we can see this in Romans chapter 3 particularly. So if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in what Christ has done for you on the cross, then the forgiveness can be described as being justified, which is the language of the, the, the law room, the law court, the courtroom, isn't it? We've got probably lots of lawyers here. Um, that's the language of the courtroom. We sit there in court. The judge finds us guilty, is about to hand down the sentence. Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 I'll take the blame. You go free. That's forgiveness, being justified. We've been redeemed, which is the language of the slave market. You know, imagine yourself um, a slave, being owned, being shackled, and someone comes and pays an enormous price to purchase you. Now, you're taken to meet your new owner, and instead of, uh, you know, setting you off to work... He takes your chains off, breaks your chains free and invites you into the home not to start serving him but as a member of the family, as a son or daughter. That's forgiveness. We are freed from the shackles of sin and death. That's forgiveness. We've been atoned for. And what does that mean? Well, our God is a God of justice, which is a good thing. You want a God of justice. And he cannot stand sin or wrongdoing. Right? There is nothing, nothing, there's no hint of sin about God. And he can't have anything to do with it. So that something's got to be done with our problem of sin. So we can't have a relationship with God, the amazing holy God, unless something is done with our sin. Unless it's taken away, it's been atoned for. I was a really big fan of the um, new Batman movies. I don't know if you've seen them before, especially The Dark Knight Rises. Christopher Nolan directed all three of them. Just great films. If you haven't seen them, check them out. Um, it's really great. Now, in the film, The, the Dark Knight Rises, the final one in the trilogy, uh, the bad guy, he's a really good bad guy. His name's Bane. And he, um, he isolates the city of Gotham and then sets off a nuclear bomb. Right? It's going to go off. Now, towards the end of the movie... Um, Batman, you know, beats up a lot of the bad guys and he realises, what are they going to do? This nuclear bomb is going to go off in maybe sort of three minutes' time. They don't have, he doesn't know what to do, thinks about it for a minute and then quickly attaches the bomb to his helicopter and heads out to sea. Now, a few moments later, there's a massive explosion out to sea and we're led to believe that Batman is dead. He's given his life to save the people of the city. Jesus gives his life to save the people of the world. There's a great line just before um, Batman does this as he's hooking up his, uh, the helicopter to the bomb and Catwoman says to Batman, by the way, you didn't expect to hear that when you came to church this morning, did you? Catman's, Catwoman said to Batman, anyway, so great line, Catwoman says to Batman as he's doing it, 
She doesn't want him to do it, right? She's kind of selfish. She says, come away with me. Don't do this. You don't owe these people anything. It's a great line. Jesus didn't owe us anything. Why do you think he gave his life? Because there's something innately awesome about us? Because we're just so worthy of dying for? No. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies. I mean, I just think there was an enormous cost involved in what Christ did for us. And I think this is part of understanding forgiveness. You see, there's no way we can fully understand forgiveness without understanding the cost of forgiveness. See, this is what it means to be a Christian. To admit, yeah, I'm a sinner. To realize what it costs God to give us forgiveness. So we admit that we're sinners and we believe, we have faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross. So we call that repentance and faith. And the thing is, how we begin is how we continue. So we keep going to our Father in heaven. Remember, maybe six weeks ago, all the way back to the first week of the series on Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. Why do you think Jesus teaches us to pray our Father? It's not our judge, our maker, even our God. It's our Father. So we come to him knowing what he's like as a loving and caring Father who won't smack us around the ears for for doing wrong. We approach him as our great Father. Now, not to receive salvation again once you become a Christian. That's a one-time deal. But keep coming to him to seek forgiveness. Why? Because in doing that, we remember what it costs God to give us forgiveness. It keeps us humble keeps us in dependence on him. Okay, so what does it mean to pray, forgive us our sins? Well, when we pray, forgive us our sins, we remember what it costs God to give us forgiveness, and it keeps us humble. All right, let's move into our second point. What does it mean to forgive others? Right, what does it mean to pray, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us? This is hard. Well, put simply, God's people who have been forgiven will forgive others. Not because that's how we're saved, but that's what forgiven people do. Let's have a look at our Bible passage that Suzanne read for us this morning. It starts with an interesting question, doesn't it? Peter comes up to Jesus and says, "Um, how many times do I have to forgive someone when they sin against me? Seven times? Now, the the leading teachers of the day, the rabbis, taught that three times was enough. So Peter probably thought he was being really generous, right? Okay, so the teachers say three times. I'll say to Jesus four more times, and I'll look really awesome. I'll look really generous. Jesus, seven times? Now, as always, Jesus blows our ideas of generosity out of the water. He says, no, 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 not seven times, 77 times. Now, in the original language, it could mean 77 times, or it could mean seven times 70 Right, so it could mean, how many times should I forgive? 77 or maybe 490. But really, the number isn't the idea. Imagine someone wronging you, lots of, you're trying to keep count, right? You know, 65, 67, I mean, you know, 401, four, it just, it's too hard. And that's the idea. Forget the measuring rod and just keep forgiving. Stop trying to count, keep a record of wrongs and keep forgiving. Now it sounds nice, doesn't it? But is that practical? 
Sounds kind of impractical to me. Can we really live like this, Jesus? Let's keep having a look at the passage. Now, a king wants to settle his accounts with his servants, right? So he brings a servant in that owes him a lot of money. Scripture says 10,000 bags of gold. That is an extraordinary amount of money, possibly maybe $10 million or more. Now, we're not really told how did he incur that kind of debt. Some people think he embezzled it from the king. We're not really told. But what we are told is the king's not happy about it. And he calls him to account, pay the money back. He says, I can't. Okay, well, I'm going to sell you, your family, and everything you own to go towards paying this enormous debt. It's not going to reach that figure, but it'll go towards it. But then the servant begs, doesn't he? Please be patient with me, and I will repay everything. I mean, this guy's dreaming. He couldn't do it in several lifetimes. No way. He's really just clutching at straws, saying anything, you know, to get out of the punishment, which maybe you or I would do too. But then the strangest thing happens. The master takes pity on him, forgives him the debt, lets him go free. This is extraordinary. That's a lot of money. Amazing thing to do. See, the thing about forgiveness is, no matter what, someone's got to pay. That's what we were talking about before with the cost. Someone's got to pay the cost. So someone's got to take the hit. You know, so either the servant pays back the money or the king absorbs the cost. But either way, someone's got to pay. The debt is there. It's real. It's present. The king absorbs it or the servant pays it back. Either way, it doesn't just go away. And this is like our debt before God. The sin is real. Our broken relationship with God is real. That's just not going away. I'm sorry, we can't just sweep that under the rug. Dave, please don't talk about sin. It's, kind of, it's not very popular. I'm sorry, it's, it's truth. It's the truth. It's real. So what happens next in the parable? Well, the original servant finds another servant that owes him money. It says maybe 100 silver coins, I think. Uh, it could be maybe $10 or something. Like that. It's not a lot of money. And what does he do? Grabs him and says, pay me back now. He says, uh, now notice this new servant says exactly the same thing as the other servant. Please be patient with me and I will pay you back everything. This time, there's a real chance of it being paid back because it's quite a small amount. But the original servant, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want the money. He just wants to make him pay. So he refuses and throws him in prison. I mean, it's shocking, isn't it? That a man who's been just been shown a huge amount, a credible amount of kindness and generosity could turn around and be so callous and harsh with someone else. What is wrong with this man? I think same thing that's wrong with some of us. He'd received forgiveness, but he hadn't experienced forgiveness. He, he understood the idea, oh, okay, I'm, I'm off the hook understood forgiveness, but didn't really experience forgiveness deep in his heart. This servant, I don't reckon he was sorry about the debt that he owed, like it was a lot of money. He wasn't sorry about it. He was just sorry that he, had to, he was called to pay it back, that he got caught. He didn't really want forgiveness. He just wanted to get off the hook. Now, obviously, the king hears how this guy's treated his other servant. He's furious, rightly so. Shouldn't you have treated your fellow servant like you had been treated? And he throws him in jail. Now we think, yeah, that servant got what was coming to him. That mean servant got what he deserved. He got what he... 
It's a tricky thing about Jesus telling these parables. You're on the side of, yeah, that's good. And then you find out, maybe that's me. The truth is, I I think we're often just like this mean servant. You know, we forget what it means to be forgiven by God and set free from sin. And we hold other people's debts over them. You know, until maybe we feel like they've, they've suffered enough. Okay, maybe they've paid enough. So what does it mean to pray as we forgive those who sin against us? Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Jesus says, pretty full on, Jesus says, unless you forgive each other from the heart, you will be treated like this horrible servant. If you've been forgiven, then you will forgive. Now, some of you might be thinking, Dave, that sounds nice. But you're a bit of a young whippersnapper. You know, you haven't lived much of life. You don't, probably don't know that life is messy. Life's hard. Life's not as simple as this. Forgiving people's hard. It's not easy. And you're right. It's not easy. I think it's pretty countercultural, don't you? You know, when it feels almost instinctive, instinctive when someone hurts us, when someone wrongs us, we just want to wrong them back. It's part of our sinful nature. You want them to know that, hey, you've wronged me. You want to make them feel like, you don't want to make them pay. And don't you reckon, I don't know about you, but for me, I reckon I can always find someone who agrees with me in my righteous anger, in my righteous indignation. No, no, Dave, you're doing the right thing. You can always find support for your cause. You know, much of the world works on this logic of unforgiveness, doesn't it? You know, the Middle East, Northern Ireland, I mean, you name it, tribal wars. You wrong me, I'll wrong you. Never forgive, never forget. Killings after killings, revenge after revenge. Gandhi famously said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio just won the Oscar for The Revenant. It's a pretty full-on movie, isn't it? A story of revenge about what one man will go through to seek revenge on someone else. It's, um, is this the way we want to live? Is this the world that you want to live in? See, Jesus calls us, teaches us to really live a radically different life. He calls us to forgive even when it hurts. Now, many of you here, maybe a bit older than me, will know that this is true, that it's the key to any good relationship. And uh, we're going to celebrate our 12-year anniversary soonish. And uh, I've found that it is the absolute key to a good and lasting marriage. It's not compatibility, looks, character. The key to a lasting marriage is learning how to say, I'm sorry and mean it, and I forgive you and mean it. Now, you might be thinking, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what they have done to me. You don't know what I've gone through. If you knew, then maybe you'd realize that I just can't. And you're right. I mean, unfortunately, I don't know a great deal of you very well to know your stories. And I don't know. I do know forgiveness is hard. This is really hard. My own father walked out on uh, my family when I was almost the age of my eldest son. That's been a really hard journey for me. 
It's been something I've struggled with for a long time. It's taken me many years to get to a place where I was ready to forgive. You know, I'm being pretty honest now, but I used to dream about having it out with him, you know, making sure that he knew what he'd done to my family and me was wrong. I I wanted to make him pay. But where does that lead us? Where does it leave us? It leaves us with anger, bitterness and resentment. Is that how we want to live? Makes us deeply unhappy. I think this brings us to another question, doesn't it? Can I forgive if someone's not sorry? If there's no repentance, can I come to a place of forgiveness? I think this is one of the hardest things we're going to have to face in our lives. And if you're in a home group, this is what we really want to look at this week, is, is, one, is this question, can this, is this possible? But very briefly this morning, I want to say, well, this is hard, but there is a way forward. You see, we, we cannot hold on to bitterness and resentment. It will poison our souls, it will destroy us, it will, it will eat away at our joy. Now, while the Bible doesn't directly address this particular question, can there be forgiveness if someone isn't sorry? I think Jesus gives us some helpful guidelines. He challenges us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That sounds hard, doesn't it? See, whatever your situation is, whatever you're going through, it may never be great again. It may never be good again. That person who's wronged you, may never say, I'm sorry. They may never ask for forgiveness, but we must be ready to give it, or at least be ready to take steps towards forgiveness. As hard as that sounds. You know, when I struggle with this issue, with forgiveness in my own life, I've got to be driven by the forgiveness I've received in Jesus. I have to be. What other logic could I operate on? You see, Jesus knows exactly what I'm going through. Deserted by all his friends, betrayed by one of his closest friends. On the cross, he experienced separation from God. Why? Because of our sin. Who better to turn to than Jesus when we're struggling with this? When we're saying, God, I can't forgive, go to Jesus. Don't try and find someone who makes you feel better about your position. Go to Jesus. He knows. When I do this, he gently reminds me of my own sin. Dave, do you realize this and this about you? He gently reminds me what it cost him to call me his son. It wasn't a small thing. In doing this, in going to Jesus and and, and remembering the forgiveness we've received in him, how then could I turn around and say, I will never forgive you? How could we? I want to end in a minute. Um, But before I do, I want to leave us all with a a powerful illustration. This is um, a photo of two people called Janine and Louis Dupont. In 1979, Chantel, their daughter, aged 15, and another boy, Maurice, aged 14, were crossing a bridge in Montreal, Canada, when they were abducted by two men. Despite their attempts to flee, they were strangled, murdered, and thrown from the bridge into the river. Absolutely horrifying. Now, the news of these hideous murders shook the nation of Canada. 
But even more shocking, Chantel's parents forgave the murderers for their crimes. Journalists covering the story were in absolute uproar. They they were saying, this crime is unforgivable. No, 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 you can't do that. This is scandalous. A filmmaker heard about this, read about it in the papers, and was so astounded by this story that he actually made a film about it called Le Pardon. It's a documentary. And we're about to see a clip, a small clip from the documentary Le Pardon. And uh, it's in French, so I got David Vogel, to, to a wonderful Swiss man down here, to interpret for me. And uh, so I can't, so it, it's, you've only got the visual. So I'll tell you what happens in the short clip. It starts out with these two people, uh, Janine and Louis, speaking to the camera, sharing about their faith and why they forgave the men who killed their daughter. Now, after the men were convicted and sent to prison, the Duponts wrote to both men reaching out to them. Now, one of the killers didn't want to have anything to do with them, but another one by the name of Norman Guarin was greatly affected by their offer of forgiveness that the Duponts had made, so much so that they actually wrote to each other for many, many years. Now, you'll see in this clip the Duponts, Chantel's parents, meeting Norman in prison for the first time, 10 years after their daughter had been killed. Let's watch this short clip together. looks impossible, doesn't it? All week as I've been preparing this video, I've been tearing up every time Bruce had come in. I'm fine, I'm fine, just got something in my eye, I'm okay. Um, but <sighs> This looks impossible, doesn't it? People that should be utterly at odds with each other, embracing. How is this possible? One word, Jesus. The DuPonts claim that forgiveness is only possible because of their faith in Jesus Christ. How can we forgive? How? Because just like that man is embracing his daughter's killer, so Jesus Christ embraces you, embraces me, and says, I forgive you. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, all the guilt and all the shame that you feel... Jesus Christ died for that. His offer of forgiveness is real. When we truly know this forgiveness, then we can be in a place to forgive. 
We're going to take a moment now to be quiet, to be still, to reflect. But before we do, I'd be crazy if I didn't ask, do you know the forgiveness that Jesus Christ brings? Do you know his offer of forgiveness? Have you experienced it for yourself? If not, today is the day. Let me ask as well, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to take steps towards forgiving? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? Let's take a moment now to be quiet for God to reveal the truth that's in our hearts. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes and be quiet and then I'll pray. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love. But we've often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and we turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing our final song now. We're going to reflect on what it costs Jesus, nothing but the blood of Christ to cleanse us and make us new. During this song, I believe we're going to have our prayer team here ready. If you don't know this offer of forgiveness Jesus brings, we invite you to come on down. Tell somebody, we'd love to pray for you. Are you struggling to forgive someone? Come on down. We'd love to pray for you during this song. Let the body of Christ minister to each other as we gather. But right now, let's sing. This is our offering song as well. The bags are going to come around. So let's sing. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. Cheers.